It is better to think of church in the alehouse than to think of the alehouse in church. Welcome back to part two of the Go to Hell podcast. I'm your host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, are we ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, part two. We still got beer in our glass? Yeah, this is still the same recording, so, well, I mean... I might get you done with this. We've got a third beer we could have. I don't have to go anywhere. You do. Is it the one that I saw in the fridge? Which one did you see in the fridge? The one that I don't want to drink in the fridge. Oh, no, no. I was talking about your Lagunitas. Oh, okay. Ah, okay. Thank Remarkably, the, the flagship, quote unquote, of Lagunitas, but we we joke, was the hardest one to find. That's right. You can't find a regular Lagunitas IPA. It's just straight up Lagunitas IPA. That's it, all it is. There's no clever name, no nothing. I remember when it used to be everywhere. Yeah. It's like the best. I know. It was like my. It was a staple when I turned 21. What I loved about Lagunitas was that it was everywhere, and it was a good IPA. It's not necessarily the best or whatever, but it's a good – and even actually, I say it's a really good gateway IPA. Yeah. So I'd say for a lot of – It's up there with Torpedo from Sierra Nevada. Yeah, I'd, I'd say for anybody that's out there and they want to dabble their foot a little bit in the IPA genre, I would – or the realm, I should say, I would – Start with the Lagunitas IPA, and I've had a lot of people that are like, "Oh yeah, that one's really good," and I'll be like, "Yeah, drink that for like six months, yeah, and then go dive elsewhere." Please do not jump over to the Racer Five, no, <laughs> from but you there can't find or the it. or the Sculpin, no, or, oh, not the Sculpin, <laughs> I was for like, sure. I was like, don't head to the Hard Hop the Union Jack, from yeah, Firestone. the Union Jack, don't. Don't go hard hops, uh, hard West Coast to start. Uh, and I know everybody's like, oh, West Coast, because, you know, you associate it with California. Nope. Stick with the Lagunitas for about six months and then start to dabble elsewhere. I I could make, like he said, Torpedo. Um, maybe drink some pale ales while you're at it to just kind of experiment, kind of get used to that hop flavor. Yeah, the straight-up Sierra Nevada pale ale is a good one to get. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's a great beer. Um, if you can find it, the Anchor, Anchor Steam California Ale. Yeah, there's lots of mellow IPAs out there. Don't don't sit there and sit th- and say, if you, if you like Lagunitas and then you jumped over to something that was just way too hoppy, don't give up on it just yet. Don't just be like, oh, this is not for me. Get used to the hot flavor. Get used to that bitterness um, and 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 eventually branch out from there is what I would say. Yeah, it took and my wife go about slow. two years. Yeah. Go slow. And then eventually you'll be able to get to that bitter and you'll appreciate some of those like the Sculpin and the Racer 5 and you'll be like, ooh, this is real because they are. They're really yeah. good, but it's just like, but yes, they are bitter. So I don't blame anybody for not wanting them. So, yeah. So we have a, a Lagunitas. Uh, but it's IPA the hard beer. one to find. A little something, something is easier to find. Uh, I'm a big fan of little brown sugar is e- easier to find. A Maximus lot of times. is Maximus, easier to find. Yeah. Okay, uh, number five. I remember this. This one got a. This one's an interesting one. This this one has two kind of contradictory not contradictory but opposing responses i worked with a teacher who was arrested and convicted of six assaults with a student at the sentencing his entire church showed up to show him support no one showed up for the survivor 
I remember talking about this one. So my response is fine for the church to show support. Just don't show up to sentencing. And then you had a much deeper response that I think is also worth pointing out, which which is kind of a criticism of the person who's using this as the reason why they left the faith. Yeah, so I, when it comes to this situation, um, again, we've had, we've talked about this before, where there's been situations in our town um, where we've had allegations against teachers and that kind of stuff and they've gone through and and there's been there's been stuff i say that the responsibility of the church is to come around both sets of people yeah i don't think that the victim the victim's family needs to or anybody that's involved or directly involved or anything like that that they need to come around that they need to come around those people I think that there's some healing that needs to go on there that in and you need to do what you need to do. But I think that the church needs to come around both people because people need to be able to come back. We've talked about this before where it's like we don't allow people to come back. In the United States, we don't say that it's okay for you. To, we don't sit there and say that you have sinned and that it's okay. We don't do that. Not at all. We're sitting there casting stones. And as soon as you cast stones, just so we're clear, they're gone. They're dead. And so we don't let you come back. And that is how we treat it. Is we have now cast the stones at you and you are dead to us. You're dead to the world. I don't want you to come back from this. I don't want to hear that you become a better person. I don't want to hear that you, you walked away from your mistakes or anything like that. No, you're, you're done. Yes, yeah, it's just one more per- it's one more person off the board that I have to morally compete with. Right. And so but where in scripture does it ever back that up? Besides, I mean, you could technically go to the Old Testament for that. But where is Jesus saying that that's how things work? Yeah, so I think this is a good this is one of those <laughs> frankly where the person who's put off by this uh you just have a you just have a skewed version of of what yeah, it is you don't that don't really understand the gospel. Yeah, and uh, listen, I don't blame you. Like if you're if you are on the victims like if you are part of the victims family or you're part of the close friends or whatever, or even if you're just an a uh, bystander and you're sitting there and you're viewing that. But even if I if you're a bystander and you see that happen, you need to be on both sides. And not both sides where you're like where you're sitting there and you're saying, even when there's evidence that proves that they did it, right? You sit there and you say, no, they're, in, they're not in the wrong. No. That's not what we're asking. We're not asking you as, a, as that to sit there and say, they're not in the wrong. They're, they, they didn't do anything wrong or whatever. That's not it. What we are saying that you need to do is you come around the victim and you're a part of that healing process. And you're saying, hey, you fucked up. But I'm here for you. If you need anything, if your family needs anything, because a lot of times these teachers have families, I'm going to be bringing your wife casseroles. Just in the same way, I'm going to be bringing the victim's family casseroles for the week or whatever. I bring a casserole to the the aggressor or the guilty party on 
Tuesday, and I bring a casserole to the to the victim's family on Thursday. That's huge. To sit there and say that you love both people. It's something that we don't really grasp in the United States because we believe in justice and we believe in that's how the world works. It's not how God works. At least that's not how he's presented to me. No, I agree. I, I, I still, I would probably advise not to show up at the hearing. But even then, you know, hearing that allies, okay, they, if they're showing up just to show support, but not, they're not there to say, oh, this person shouldn't be, you know, go, shouldn't go to jail. They're just there to show support. Right. That's it's still and and you're correct. We I mean we've had a situation like this in our town. We had this at the previous church we were at where someone literally got charged with something similar and my wife knew the person. Uh their kid played with our kid on a little league team. I would say that person wasn't my favorite person in the world just based on how they behaved in little league baseball and other stories I heard from youth sports. But that person showed up at church one day after they'd been, I think, convicted, but weren't, I think they'd been convicted, but for some reason weren't in jail yet. They were waiting to go to jail. Maybe I'm missing that. But anyway, it was a foregone conclusion that this person was going to go to jail. And prominent person in our community, I would say 70% of the people at our church knew who this person was. And that poor person looked, I pitied the person when they showed up at church because they just knew everyone was talking about them. Right. And here's also And I felt convicted to go, even though, like I said, not my favorite person in the world, just because how they, (laughs) how a lot of parents conduct themselves in Little League Baseball, etc., but it was, I need to put that aside and go up to that person and say, today's not the day... Not everyone here is shooting daggers through your body. Right, because you got to sit there and you feel like the whore in church. Yeah. And by the grace of God, go I. If all the little demons that pop up to my head that people knew about. Right. Yeah, you just don't have the publicized demons that are going on right and and here's the thing is actually what was really funny was when this happened i was actually taking my bible classes and i took it in front of my bible class we were talking about it somehow we got on the subject about like over time do you just like let it go and in this particular instance this teacher had a relationship with the student back in the 90s they didn't get convicted until like what 2016 2015 or didn't have or they got indicted they actually didn't end up getting convicted of anything because the witness never came forward to offer it was like a rumor or whatever about blah 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 that happened way back when and so they arrested this person on the spot or after investigations and then eventually arrested them on campus and there was a whole situation that came from it Luckily for this person that they didn't have to face any jail time or whatever. or Well, they had to face jail time, but they didn't have to go to prison or anything like that. And so there's still parts of it where it's like, what is going on with all of this and, and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's like, do we – So we not that time heals all wounds. No. And especially in the United States, we sit there and we say justice needs to be done no matter how many years. 
have gone by, right? Like if you murdered somebody 40 years ago, should you still pay the crime? You know, so that that's the whole concept. But still understanding that can people come back from it? If 16 years ago this is what happened, can we come back from it to where we say, hey, you messed up. You can't work with kids. Yeah, there's still there still might be a permanent yeah, there's penalty. Still, but we still love you. But we're not going to put a scarlet letter on you and cast you out into the wilderness. Exactly, but that's not what we do. No, exactly. We put a scarlet letter on you and cast you out into the wilderness and say good luck. Right. And so actually what I have a lot of props for, well, depending on how they responded. Again, it doesn't go into huge detail. Like maybe people are like holding up signs where they're like, he's innocent or she's innocent. Right. There's not a problem here. And it's like, eh, that's not good either. No. Like, you should be impartial to that. You're not judge or jury. So you should not have, he's like, oh, he was a good old boy. He never did anything wrong. No, like you can't sit there and say that. Whatever happens through the conviction process, you sit there and you say, okay, hey, listen, man, based off of evidence, you fucked up, but we're going to come around you and we're going to love you and, and we're going to show you, you know, that there's life after this. I'll give you a perfect example of this. And I brought this up at the time when I, this, this story came up when I was leading our college group and it was the perfect example of how Christians are bad at actually following through with the belief of forgiveness. And the story was a Cambodian general had been caught and well, he was being tried by the Hague for war crimes, right. genocide. And in his trial, he won, admitted what he'd done. He said, yeah, I, I was response. I was basically Paul Pot's right-hand man. So I was directly responsible for a good number of the millions that were murdered. And two, I accept whatever punishment I'm going to get. And three, I'm a Christian. I'm now a Christian and I apologize for everything I've done. And the number of not non-Christians, but Christians who refused to accept that this guy was a Christian and said, oh, he's just saying it in order to get off at The Hague was shocking to me. And the guy wasn't saying, I'm a Christian now. Let bygones be got bygones. Now Jesus is in my life. You know, we can forget about the million, let's say the million of the three that died that I'm responsible for. We'll just, we'll call that a wash and let me go being a good follower. No, he was like, whatever you're going to do to me, do to me. And yet the number of Christians who were saying, nope, this guy's full of shit. He's just saying it so everyone feels sorry for him was depressing. I mean, in some ways... <laughs> In some ways, it is a, a small version of the, could Hitler be saved? And we're talking about, let's say, 1 to 3 million human beings versus 12 to 15. But it's a similar kind of thing. Oh, 100%. And this is actually, I feel And like people are like, nope, can't happen. He must have been so, it's, you, you have to believe, I mean, you, you could struggle, you could pull some verse out of the Bible, like, you could pull out of Genesis when God says that uh, he delivers Pharaoh over to the devil because it's basically God saying, like, this guy's, this guy's made up his mind. 
He's uh, not going to listen to me. In Exodus, yes. When he, in Exodus. Yeah. And he's like, God, this guy's not going to listen to me, and I'm going to deliver him over to the side he's chosen, which is to follow Satan. Right. I mean, actually, that's a good example of... Yeah, I would give the example of Hitler for this one. So Hitler was so dedicated to his cause and to his own... And actually, another good example of Hitler would also be uh, Judas. Yes. You have somebody who's so dedicated to their cause and they feel so much guilt or shame or maybe fear. I mean, I guess Judas and and Hitler can't be on the same aspect. I feel like Hitler killed himself out of fear. Based off the information that we have, it's not about guilt over killing the over killing the Jews or anything like that. It was just so much as this is the end. They're going to kill me. I don't want to be tortured. I don't want Yeah, I don't I don't want I don't want to be treated like a dog. I was the king of the world, yeah. the my world, and so therefore I'm going to end my life. So sorry Judas for not I I feel like that's an insult to Judas. Um to put himself there. Yeah, Hitler's ego is what killed him. And again, what we're saying about Hitler is, uh, in, if anybody is Jewish that's listening to this, and I feel like we've said this before, is um, he needed to pay for what he did. I don't know how you pay for that. Like, how do you pay for 15 million lives? You can't. There's nothing that you could do. If we were to get him and we were to torture him for, for the remainder of his life, where we knew that every day that he woke up, he was in agonizing pain every single day. Would that make up for 15 million lives? Nobody on this planet would say yes. Yeah, I, I, I guess what I would say is similar to the Cambodian guy. The world's response is it's acceptable for the world to say there's nothing you can ever do to repay that debt. You can't. And so there, But, and... and to take this to to the germ, <laughs> there's Hitler at the top. There's this Cambodian general that I bring up, like maybe a step below. And then there's this guy who sexually assaulted a student six times. We talk a lot about Jesus followers having to step out of their comfort zone and doing things we don't want to do. And a lot of times, but we don't ever apply it to this one. How are we supposed to get there? And, and but that's also the thing. This is, is to say, I'm, I, I can't explain it to you, world. It, theoretically, yes, Hitler can never make up for the six million Jews. There will be a generations of Jews who will forever be bitter, understandably, for what has happened. There will be the world will. Someone famously said, I don't, I can't remember who said it. Someone famously said there are two similar moments in the world: the crucifixion of Jesus. And the Holocaust. And certainly in the Western world, I cannot deny that. And yet, somewhere down deep inside, if that magical thing would, were to happen, yes, when Jesus dies for th- and for three days battles Satan and then rises, that's for the, six mil- the 20 million, the 40 million people that Hitler's responsible for directly and indirectly for murdering. That's part of it. Yeah. And if you don't believe that, then you don't believe in the in the promise of the cross. Exactly. And, and, and that's the hard part that a lot of people are going to have to struggle with is, did Jesus die on the cross for Hitler? Did he die on... And so people will say, yes, absolutely. But did he die on the cross for Hitler even after he killed his six million Jews? 
And the answer is still yes. No matter what sins you undertook, no sin was out of reach for the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you could have come back from that. And when we say come back from that, we don't mean that like Hitler could have been reinstated as like the no, president no, no, no. of he's not, you he's know, not like the, he's not doing 1940s TED talks about how he's been you know no the man's forever that doesn't mean the man's forever a hermit he's never heard from he's got you know no it doesn't mean that he's not in prison for the rest of Correct. his life as a war criminal for the rest of his life but it doesn't mean that his heart and his soul and his spirit could not come back from that. And that's the part that we don't recognize ever is that, and we should rec- and what we as Christians need to do is recognize the spirit. We don't recognize the spirit. We recognize the action, the, the previous actions, we don't recognize the spiritual change. Well, that's why I brought up the, you know, the God forbid I get judged for the demons in my in my head. That's why Jesus talks about. That's why Jesus talks about the sins of the heart and the in the mind. Yeah, it's not just the sins of the body. All right, this one I remember. This one set me off, and then maybe we'll do. There's one, a couple more after that. One of these is a is a nice like volleyball spike, but. I have lots of reasons for not participating in organized religion. Okay, well, that's kind of setting up. I'm not really sure how much of a Christian you were to begin with, but especially Christianity. One of my main turning points was when a co-worker who I also was friends with was having marital issues. It's a small town, and her husband was a piece of shit who everyone knew. Okay, why was he a piece of shit? He couldn't keep his junk in his pants and had several babies outside his marriage. Okay, that's a good reason. And one of his baby mothers would even go to my friend's home and bang on the door, threatening to beat her up. My friend was very, very religious and went to the pastor for guidance, and he put no blame on the husband. I'm not really sure about that. He guilted her into staying in the marriage. I do believe that. And acted as if prayer would fix everything. I do believe that. Okay. I said this the first time we recorded this. I recorded this the second time. We have a bullshit view of marriage in the church. What I mean by that is the pastor is missing the forest of the trees in the story. To say to... Look, if you are married and you are not following the famous... The way it is famously laid out in the New Testament of... And if you're a female listening to this, please just let me finish the whole thing before you get pissed off. Women submitting to their husbands, husbands treating women like the church. If you are falling short of that, you're in a sinful marriage. You're already failing at that point. So to tell someone that they've got to stick in that sinful marriage is just creating more of a problem. Yeah. The divorce isn't the problem. It's the fact that the husband is not respecting the wife in the way that he should be respecting the wife and treating her as he is supposed to treat her. So to tell her to stay in that kind of bondage, that's not a Christian... I'm sorry, that's wrong. You've made rule following more important than what it should be. And you should go to hell. I think that... Again, we talk about this a lot, is that context is always extremely important with this kind of stuff and understanding when you look at the scriptures and you look at when it talks about divorce. 
husbands could divorce their wife for any reason. Yeah. Whatsoever. Wives could not divorce their husbands. And so, again, when you're reading the scriptures, understand this is where Jesus is coming from. This is where they're coming from on this whole situation about husbands could separate from their wives for literally anything. And so there becomes this whole commitment issue. So just imagine, I mean, imagine junior high relationships is actually what I would encourage you to imagine for this. Where, you know, he went and he talked to another, or she went and she talked to another guy. And so that's reason to break up, okay? They were breaking, so divorces were the same thing as breaking up, okay? Like, there was no commitment that people had at this level, People would divorce in the same way that, that junior high kids break up, right? Like, it's even a joke on our high school campuses that you would, like, junior high relationships don't even count because when you don't really do anything other than, like, touch, brush, fingertips. Also, at the same time, you guys break up over the fact that the wind changes, okay? So that's extremely important to understand about the context of when they talk about divorce, how we look at it in a modern sense is, yeah, we didn't take those lessons and we didn't understand that context. And so now you get into these overcommitted relationships where you are not allowed to break this off because of it's sinful and that's what scripture says and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's that's not helpful either. Because again, all these people, it's not what its original intention was. So these people are going through horrific terrible things in marriages and they're like well i can't get a divorce because it's sinful and this is not what god wanted for me and this is what god chose for me as my person and all that kind of stuff no no if you are in an abusive relationship please get out of it please you can still love that person without having to be married to them you can still wish the best for them but the fact that they cannot control themselves from hurting you and and being either physically, sexually, or emotionally abusive to you, you have to, you have to escape that. 100%, you cannot, you, you, you can't stay. I, I say that with 100% certainty. You, you can't stay with that. Um, and I, I understand that there's recoveries, there's really cool recovery stories that happen, but for a lot, that, that's, those are really, really rare. And there's, there's high possibility that you're being manipulated to stay. And that's not good. Please do not stay in those situations. Please do not allow yourself to get manipulated or anything like that. It's not good for you. And so that kind of stuff right there is just like, no, nope, that's not what God intended. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that still in the church there's a huge sense of the patriarchy where boys will be boys. So even though Tim said that he didn't believe that the that the pastor uh, just kind of didn't say anything or just it actually doesn't surprise me. That I'm not he, surprised by it. I'm just I, I'm yeah. I was like uh, where he didn't do anything. Yeah, I I could see a large majority of pastors just being like, well, I'm just not going to deal with that. Um. I, for some reason, when I read this, I kind of I, I infer that this is in the South. And so if it's in the South, I could definitely see whatever hus your husband, you know, just shut the hell up and stay married to him. So right. sorry to all you yeah, I don't, I don't think Southerners listening to this. I don't but. think it sounds like, I don't think it, it's, yeah, I, 
I don't think that it's great what the husband is doing at all. I that's that's terrible. Like again, also... and then the, uh, we missed the thing. The prayer would fix everything. Again with the prayer. Yeah. Not uncommon, by the way. That's 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 extremely common. That's why we're we are experiencing it through a lot of these. Okay. Yeah. Let's stop with the divorce being this like unbreakable sacrament is my short answer to that one uh that one's about stupid stuff said on 700 club after 9 11 and vegas i think we've dealt with that before i think we've even played clips of dipshit stuff from jerry falwell and pat robertson about 9 11 blaming 9 11 on the fags and the and the ACLU. Well, you know, I'll read it real quick. And then we'll just... Uh, I'd fallen out of Christian faith before, but then 9-11 happened and I thought I needed to reconnect. I saw the 700 Club blaming the sin of American Vegas. And I thought it was crap. I went to Calvary Chapel service down in Fort Lauderdale on Sunday after. The sermon was almost verbatim from the 700 Club. They were blaming people in Vegas for the loss of thousands. No thanks to you. No thanks to you. I realized religion was a hoax. People ask me all the time, oh, I just don't understand why God wouldn't protect our nation. And he would allow, you know, these uh, radical Muslims on 2001 to kill 3,000 of our citizens and why God doesn't protect us. Surely God doesn't use pagans to bring judgment upon his own people, does he? Just read the Bible. God will not allow sin to go unpunished. And he certainly won't allow the uh, sacrifice of children to go unpunished what we saw on tuesday as terrible as it is could be minuscule if in fact if in fact god continues to lift the curtain and allow the enemies of america to give us probably what we deserve well jerry that's my feeling i think we've just seen the the antechamber to terror we haven't even begun to see what they can do to the major population I mean, well, the aclu uh, the aclu's got to take a lot of blame for this oh yeah and i know i'll hear from them for this but uh throwing god off successfully with the help of the federal court system yes. throwing god out of the public square out of the schools uh the abortionists have got to bear some burden for this because uh, God will not be mocked, and when we destroy 40 million little innocent babies, we make God mad. I, I really believe that the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians who are actively trying to make that an alternative lifestyle, the ACLU, People for the American Way, all of them who tried to secularize America, I point the thing in their face and say, you helped this happen. Well, I, I totally concur. You can go on YouTube and find 20, 30 clips of dipshit stuff Christians have said, uh, basically blaming Katrina, 9-11, Vegas, whatever, on whatever sexual proclivity or what, that, that, that they don't like. So uh, go to hell. Yeah. Uh, -da 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 -da. This, one, this one was a good one. Uh, my mother was raised in the Catholic Church, but her breaking point was when they demanded 10% of her monthly income in order to attend. My mom basically told them, Fuck off! And never look back. All right. One. Uh, one, church isn't a... It's not a country club, so you shouldn't be required to give to go to, to, go to church. 10% rule. Uh, Colton and I, we're not 10% believers. I don't think there's... Look, it's not unbiblical. It is talked about in the Old Testament. It is not talked about in the New Testament. If you are someone who believes in 10%, and you're a Christian, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a good number. My personal thing is, 
I don't think I don't think it's a hard and fast rule. My well, I'll just share what my personal belief is. You should be giving something. The poorer you are, maybe you're not giving ten percent. And the better off you're doing, I think you should be giving more than ten percent. My wife and I give more than ten percent because ten percent's just a number. And the better we do, we feel like that number should increase. So Whatever number you're comfortable with, you should be giving. But this 10% rule, again, I, I, you know. I, okay, uh, yeah, I've, there's, there's a church down the street, actually, from where Tim lives, where they ask for, like, in, in order enough to become a member, you have to, like, give your routing number and all that kind of stuff. And they take out a 10% at the beginning yeah, of every yeah, single month, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that stuff is, like, I completely understand you need to actually go through the process of giving um, where you need to sit there and say, this is the amount I want to give. You, you, That's just healthy for you. I don't believe that there's a set number. Uh, very similar to what Tim's saying. I think a lot of people look at that 10% number um, and that's how they go. I, that, that just depends on how into budgets you are. I know that Tim is very sound on the whole budget thing. Um, and he does a lot of, they do like financial peace and, um, they've done a couple of other programs, um, where they try to teach people about, Hey, this is the things that you need to prioritize when it comes to your budgets and your finances and all that kind of stuff. And they work with a lot of people in the church. And so that's very common for, uh, those that are very aware that again, looking at those numbers is very important to them. I think that. What I would say to the average believer that maybe is not actively involved in any of that kind of stuff and really understanding that is that you need to understand and you've, and we've kind of talked about it on this podcast before is that no matter how much people want to say about, you know, <laughs> the church doesn't need tax breaks or whatever, there's a budget. And so the amount of things that you put in and the, whatever you are getting out of the church, all of those things cost money. So if you really like the worship service, you love the light shows, you love the words up on the two projectors on both sides of the, of the stage, you love the drums, you love the, uh, the lighting, you love the cross with like the glowing behind it, okay? You love the pastor getting up there, you love the visuals, okay? Maybe you love dropping your kid off and having a free daycare for like an hour and a half. Maybe you love having showing up on a Tuesday night and having access to a really cool facility. All of that shit costs money. Yep. And again, you'll get, uh, oh, maybe you just, maybe you just like showing up to service, uh, Tim on a hot summer day in the middle of July. And meanwhile, the air conditioning bill for that building is ridiculous. Yeah, so I uh, I was the treasurer for a church for quite a while. And uh, we had a power bill come in the middle of July one year. And uh, it made me rethink modern church. It was so big. It was, uh, what was that bill? I believe that power bill was $14,000. So this was July. So we're paying for June, which would have included BBS. vacation Bible school. BBS, yes. So you so you had a week, uh, an additional week of running uh, running air conditioning. 
But that's it. But I, you write that check and you think me being a part of some charities that are involved in the third world, you start seeing <laughs> the faces of black and brown uh, people you know around the world and thinking, I'm writing a $14,000 check for freaking electricity. And that's just one part of many bills that are required for this thing. This model does not work. Oh, 100%. No, I talked to... Uh... And so, dear listener, don't hear this and say, yeah, I don't need to go to church anymore because it's just a waste of money. That's not my point. Uh, it, 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 is, it does give one pause, and it still gives me nightmares thinking about that, but it punctuates the point of, yeah, if you like to have a week of vacation Bible school... Depending on where you're at in the country, that costs a lot of money. Yeah, and and that's not even counting the curriculum that someone paid for. Orange uh, Orange curriculum is not cheap. Va- the vacation and Bible school we used at this said church, this previous church I was at, was so expensive. We shared it with three other churches, including the Catholic church in town, because it was so expensive. Yeah, orange is not cheap. So, for those of you guys that don't know, orange is the very popular curriculum uh, that comes out for, actually, they have a high school, junior high, and uh, elementary school yes, curriculum. Yes, there is an entire... <laughs> They're based out of Georgia, I think? There is an entire Christian military industrial complex, we like to call it, that is based around making... A hell of a lot of money, and it includes the books you read, the curriculum you uh, in in digest at your church, the music you listen to. It is a dirty, dirty business, and until there's a new model, it's got to be paid for. Yeah, so or you there, come up with it yourself. Yeah, good luck with that. Which, good luck. Good luck with home church. Home church is is a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And, no, and like we talked about before, you start questioning whether or not you're actually equipped to do this job. Right. And so and here's something that's actually funny. And I actually really like this story. Um, a lot of people roll their eyes at this story because it's very frustrating to them or they're just like, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. They've heard it a million times. But I actually really like this story because I think it's a really good eye opener. Um, I had a, I had a, a, a friend – who was really? Who was very much? His heart was on missions around the world. He wanted to know about our influence at the church on on missions outside of the country. He was like, "This is very important to me. I want to know." So he went and asked the pastor of this church that we were at, mm-hmm. and he asked, "Hey, what's our regular budget?" And our pastor was honest with them. He was our assistant pastor. And he knew this pastor really well. And this pastor actually, uh, he was one of our, he was uh, one of our executive pastors at the time. We had a teaching pastor and executive pastor. And he just kind of ran a lot of the finances and a lot of that kind of stuff. And he was just like, we're looking at about, we're, we're looking, we're pushing about a million dollars is our budget. Oh, no, we were, we were 1.2, 1.3. 1.2, 1.3, yeah. No. And... Are with a church to give people context at home, this is a church of about I would say 300, 400, 400 and probably 125 of, of the 400 were regular givers. 
and we're we were up at one point one point two one point three million dollar budget. Sure. So we're we're working. it's actually an impressive church. Absolutely. No, in a small town of where we're at, and outside folks would come in and were shocked by the, how much money our church had, with the number of people it had, and the actual actual number of people giving as a percentage of the church. That church, you and I have disagreements, but but those people faithfully give. Oh, one hundred percent. So anyway, not a problem. And I don't have any – we never talked about how that was a problem with our budget or anything mm. like that. No, there, there was nothing there. It was more of the allocation of funds. We had too much money. <laughs> it would, it, there were more issues with the allocation of funds. Yeah. So, and that's what this guy came up and he said. He, he asked the pastor and he said, hey, how much do we give to foreign missions? What is our impact in that? And he said, well – Roughly around ten percent of our budget. Yeah, and that was the number that had been established by leadership long before I was in leadership. Right. That's that's what's you're bringing this full circle to the tithing thing. This is great. Right. Keep going. And so you're looking at so if you take ten percent of one point three million, you're looking at about a hundred and thirty thousand dollars is what they our church would give to foreign mission. And my friend was upset. Let's just just take let's just take foreign out of it. Just missions, just any missions. money spent outside of the campus, right, of was, the church. Yeah, exactly. It was it was to this ten percent. And why this is cr- huge is because this guy happens to be a teacher, and in the Central Valley where we live, and in the, our particular district where this teacher lives or, and works, and it's actually where I work. If you have a master's degree, and you teach. Uh, for 13 years with a master's degree and 60 units, which you can get units pretty easily. It's literally like go to a training for a week and you get a unit. You make $117,000 a year now. Yeah. So you can make six figures after 13 years. And so this guy said, so you mean to tell me that I could get 10 of my friends? Or in this case... I could get 12 of my friends together. And if we were to tie that 10% number as this 400 plus church, we could do just as much impact in the world as this church. And the pastor looked him dead in the face and said, yup. Yeah. Absolutely. And he didn't even call his bluff. He was like, I hope you do that. Because 100%, that was the issue. And if you look at corporate church in general, that's how it works. The amount of the budget that goes, like there was one service that I went, or we got sent to this, sure, it's a really cool, awesome opportunity, but it just made me sick. Bayside, which is a mega church up in Sacramento. Yeah, Bayside's big church up in Sacramento. It's like, I don't know, six, eight, I don't know how many campuses they have now in the Sacramento metroplex. They have some in Santa Rosa. Yeah, they have huge camp. And then. And they have a satellite campus now, and this is where our training was in Palm Desert. Yeah, and they have a small Christian college that are now uh, 
affiliated with and their worship arts pastor if you're familiar with christian music is lincoln brewster who's basically the eddie van halen of christian music literally yeah and and listen i don't got any problems with their services if you ever go to a service oh my gosh it's immaculate like yeah the music is awesome they have (laughs) they what's really funny is i've got a buddy who is a uh, who used to work for them, um, and he was a part of their system uh, where they had their. I was like, this is genius. They they don't even know or all the, they get these high school kids that are wanting to get in and be used or be worship pastors and all that kind of stuff, and they have them come in and they have them pay thousands of dollars to them to come in and they basically just have them be their lights and sound guys. Yep, that's it. That's it. It's, it's not like it's. Paid internships. It's paid internships. <laughs> they pay to be an intern. Ch- they paid. They paid the church to worship at the altar of Lincoln Brewster. <laughs> to worship at the altar of Lincoln Brewster. They literally are like they have schedules. They like they're like I'm playing bass this weekend at this campus, and so like I got to be there at six a.m. and I got to do all three services, and then I got to head over on Sunday night to go play to go do the lights uh, for this many services, and and some of these kids are professional. Yeah, they get asked to go do concerts for legitimate bands because of how they're running the sounds and all that kind of stuff. And so that's where they're like, "We're teaching you the skills and all that kind of stuff." But really, most churches are like, "We're lucky to get any light guy to show up on a Sunday sure. morning." You know, like we're looking for a warm body up there. You know, and so it's massive. And so he he was a huge part of this whole church. And I gotta be, be honest, we went down to the one in Palm Desert. Uh, for their training. It was called the Thrive Conference. And I was so sick to my stomach. And I'd never experienced this before, but I it, it came from working in a church and understanding where all that money goes. And I just got so sick. They had huge LED flat screen TVs that were massive, gave you full visuals of like the pastor on both sides of the stage. They had, hor- they were like vertical, right? Like they, so you could see the pastor like walking around up on stage. They had massive light displays and all this kind of stuff. The, the building that we were in had to cost so much money. Like I can't even express. They had a huge children's and uh, youth ministry buildings that were massive and all this kind of stuff. And this is crazy to me because I'm sitting there and I'm like, can that money not be used so much better elsewhere? Yeah. <laughs> this is why I'm not in church leadership anymore. I can't do it. Like, it made me so I have sick. no idea. There's a reason why I have zero idea what our church budget is at our new church. And it's for a reason. It's phenomenal. I love it that I don't know. I because don't I know. don't want to know. I don't want to know. Because the, the church we're at, we love. But it's no, I can guarantee you, it's no better budget-wise than the one we're oh, at Oh, no, definitely not. No, it's I'm probably anything, worse. It's probably worse. I, I would 100% agree with that. Although Because the problem isn't, the problem you and I experienced is, I've said this ad nauseum, I'll continue to say it. The digital, the whole digital revolution, it's great. It's, it's, up, it's creating upheaval. It's it's going to change the way we do church and we think about things. And it's not happened at the church yet, but I hope it does because the way we do church has got to change. 
Yeah. And I have pastor friends who disagree with me, and they might be right. Uh, I kind of I hope we get in this extreme where we've got mega churches and really tiny churches. I don't, church is never going to go away, nor do I think it should go away. But because I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that everyone doing a home church thing is, is a model. And I, I think we, we look at the old like letters from the New Testament and think of these people doing home church. That's not what they're doing. They were, they were doing, there were people, there was an organized structure to the church, churches Paul is writing letters to. Right. It's not people just doing a free for all and saying, yeah, Jesus did this. And so, there's always going to be a hierarchy. There's always going to be a structure. But wow, we waste a lot of money in the United States. And I just, I hope there's a better model out there. I don't know what it is. I'm glad I don't have to think about it. I hope to God I don't ever get asked to be <laughs> on the leadership of another church because it was dis- dis- disillusional enough the first time. But give two, give five, give two. 10 give 20 give something though if you're going to church give something yeah give something understand that everything that happens on stage or whatever and if you're enjoying it and that's something that you want to be at every single week you should be giving something so that way that can continue to happen at the very least i mean we can talk about the building you're sitting in the electricity uses in the summer the heat it uses in the winter the children's ministry let me put it to you this way. If you've got kids and they either are going off to college or have gone to, gone to college, the person preaching to you has spent a hell of a lot of money to get multiple degrees to preach to you. Right. Just like any other position in the United States, when you've got multiple degrees, there is a modicum of income that, you're spo- that you should get in order to, one, sustain a family, which we expect our pastors to do, because... Who's going to go to a church where the senior pastor is some single male? Uh, yeah, no yeah nobody. And two, Wait, no. pay, off his, pay off his many degrees that he's gotten. And hopefully he's still learning. You take that back. The Catholics are willing to do that. <laughs> Taking take aside our Catholic friends and the whole problem that's created. Okay. Uh, is this our last one? Our last one. I told my counselor at my Christian college that I was deeply depressed and suicidal. Her advice boiled down to pray more and trust in God. I told her I'd been doing it, and it wasn't working. She told me if I really had been trying, it would have been working. So the problem was my lack of faith. That was, suffice it to say, not helpful in dealing with my depression. Okay. I felt we had to read this one because this has been, I would say this issue has been a new issue for the vast majority of churches in the last, I'm going to be generous and say 15 years, but with 10 to 5 years. Churches have largely ignored this issue, and I would say a lot of churches, their response to this person would have been exactly that, particularly from the pulpit. You and I have fortunately been exposed to churches uh, even at the previous church, I think our leadership really got trained quickly on how to deal with this in a much better way. Certainly yeah. the church we're at now deals with this in a very healthy way. I don't know how many churches still deal with it this way. I think that what's important from this is understanding that and in, in what our church and what a majority of churches don't do well 
is we have to recognize that mental health is a serious issue. It is literally a chemical imbalance. And, and so just like the other things we've talked about, there are there is a percentage of people who can pr- who have prayed that chemical imbalance away, but the majority of us who well those I I don't I don't want to say us to to say that I'm part of that. I'm a part of it, so you are a part of that. I'm, that's why I'm saying it. I don't want to like say something I'm not a part of. Those of us who are, it's not that easy. It's not tap our toes a couple times together and say, Jesus, take it away, Jesus, take it away, Jesus, take it away. Right. Pharmaceuticals are involved, as is a healthy spiritual life. Right. No, and I think that it's very important for anybody that's that's listening and for anybody that's gone through this in general. It It is very important to know that mental illness is real. And so, but here's also something that's that's crazy about this whole situation is I remember a time where it's like, oh, just go to your pastor and ask for help because that's the issue that you're having or whatever. It's just something spiritual or whatever. And so that's what people say to go and do. That's not good advice. No, pastors are not equipped to handle this. No, absolutely not. And so what I see from this whole situation is I see a lucky If you're lucky to find a Christian counselor, that's perfect. But what I see from this is you are sitting there and you're thinking this has got to be the person that has the answers because, again, we've shamed people from being able to go see a therapist. Correct. Which doesn't make any sense at all. The Bible's got all the answers and my pastor has all the answers. Which doesn't make any sense at all. I'm I'm sorry. Like, I don't... I need to install a new front door to my house. Let me call my pastor and (laughs) say... (laughs) Right? Like, that's that's what hey, it seems like. Pastor Bob, how do I install this new... Oh, you need to get, 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 you know, <laughs> measure twice. Yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, golly. I I don't understand it at all. We expect... I and have that's, a pain in my side. It feels like appendicitis. What do you think I should do? Uh, go to the fucking doctor. Yeah, that's what you need to do. Exactly, with 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 most haste. But this is actually something that we experience with pastors a lot. We would do this about a large majority of our problems or a lot of our issues. And again, this is something that I talked about at the beginning. Pastors, believe it or not, are not equipped to deal every single damn work in the world. Correct. And unfortunately, enough of them aren't willing to admit it. Yes, that is also harmful as well. It's where they're like, well, I got to meet the people where they are. And it's like, no, 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 you no, need, no, I you, am not equipped to handle this. You need to go. Exactly. You need to be able to reference people. You need to say, hey, listen, this is what you need. Uh, you shouldn't even recommend names as a pastor. You should not sit there and say, I would go to this counselor. No, no. You sit there and say, nope, you need counseling. You need to figure out who works out well best for you and that kind of stuff. Because again, we need to recognize that God works through all people. Correct. And so a therapist, believe it or not, they have great understanding about the mind, the brain, the chemicals that are going on. They can understand a lot of the prescriptions that are described. What was phenomenal uh, for me personally, and if anybody wants to hear this, uh, I've seen a therapist. And what was really awesome about my therapist was I've been on two separate – I've actually been on – yeah, no, two separate 
antidepressants, uh, anti-anxiety is what I'm taking them for. It's not for uh, depression. It's for anxiety. Um, There's a whole situation that went along with that. Um, We can explain that some other time. But for now, like, those are the two. And each time that I've gone into my therapist and we've talked about the two different drugs or we've talked about the different prescriptions, he's said, like, oh, this is what this does really well for you. This is kind of what this one does. So, like, the first one he talked about, he was like, uh, this one is really good to help you focus. And he's like, this one's really focused around making sure that you're able to, like, concentrate on what it is that you knew. He's like, you can get a little couple of side effects where you get a little bit too active um, from it where you're just like, we need to get out and we need to do something. And people are like, (laughs) all right, you need to chill out. And he's like, but the one uh, that I was on previously is he's like, he's like, that one's really good, but it it creates a, a neutral zone. So you can't really feel the lowest of the lows and you can't really feel the highest of the highs um, as far as emotionally goes. So uh, so people are like, hey, you seem kind of emotionally more stagnant to where you're not crying over certain things or maybe you're not feeling super excited as people would think you normally are. And so those are really cool things that therapists know because they have understanding of a lot of those prescriptions and a lot of those drugs that a lot of people don't really recognize are the things. Even doctors don't even recognize that those are, but because they talk with people on a regular basis and they see those types of things, they get an understanding of a psyche that you may never ever know. And so what a, what someone should do, and I don't say, I don't blame pastor for sitting there and say, not saying that because it's something that has been looked down upon for so long that it, it, it doesn't shock me, but, the, what the pastor said isn't wrong. Okay. No, no. I mean, like, I, if you're if if you if if you're a pastor, she says at my Christian college, she goes to the counselor. I don't have a problem with the counselor saying pray more and trust in God, but that's part of a holistic toolkit. Yes. My advice to you as a Christian counselor is continue, not pray more. I wouldn't say that. That that's just that implies that you haven't been trying hard enough. But continue to pray, continue to trust in God. Yes. But we need to find other tools to help you get through this. Because depression isn't a thing. You're not broken as a believer because you're going through depression. No. There's probably something chemically going on in your brain that we need to look at. Yes. So we're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to trust in God. But we're also going to look outside of those things to see what other things we can do again a holistic approach and too often it's been just we're just going to do this and all that does is build up more i mean <laughs> again we've, we we the predicate was we're going to take these people at their word that they're at what, what they say is true pray more trust god you walk away from that you're saying clearly i failed because i have not prayed enough or trust in god enough and that's why i'm depressed 100 percent. so i'm i'm broken i'm wrong which then leads to, am I a believer enough? Do I really believe in Jesus? Clearly, I don't clearly believe in enough Jesus because he's not taking away this this depression that I have. Yeah, exactly. Total side note, when I was a high school kid, of course, all high school kids, particularly all high school kids think they know everything. I was the worst. My friends and I thought we knew everything. I thought psychology was a bunch of bullshit that my fellow female classmates went to take because they were too lazy to take a real subject in college. And then my, I think junior year at UCLA, I had to, I, I had to take 
for, I don't remember what it was, but I had to take a psychology class to f- fulfill a requirement. Right. It was like a codec to the world. Like, un, it, like I walked out of that, I mean, and the, the teacher was everything you could think of. She was progressive. She, I mean, just every cliche you could think of, she was that. But still, it opened up this world to understanding how people work, uh, uh, act, and think and behave, it was re- it was revelatory. Yeah, no. What's really fun about a psychology course for anybody that's that ever has taken one, or anybody who's thinking about taking one, <laughs> what's really fun about it is understanding that we all think that we are <laughs> that we're individuals, that we are unique. Right, and we are to extent, and, but, and we are to extent. But, but you go to a psychology but, class, and you're like, no. No, I we ain't shit. Yeah. Like, we're, we're all the fucking same. Like. Yeah, there. Anyway, total offshoot. Um, one more thing though, I would say, best thing for junior highs, high school, junior high and high schools to do, first day of school, bring all of the parents into the auditorium, and have a counselor, a psychologist, explain the teenage brain. Physi- physiologically explain the teenage brain to the parents please to the parents how it is literally this alien thing it's the sponge it's changed it is literally physiologically something different than it was before and what it will be after right and when you have that explained to you it ex- it unlocks all of understanding of why does this kid continue to be a dipshit right you were like man this kid was really good and like, golly, we had no problems. Yes. Like this kid was like awesome, and then all of a sudden they hit twelve years old. And what the fuck? <laughs> you're, right. you're like, you're like puberty. And this is what people were like, talking about with puberty. Yeah, there's like, actually like literally this chemical thing, and the brain turns to mush and blah 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 blah. And oh, okay, yeah, you're not alone. It happens to all of them. Yeah, it happens to all of them. And if it's not it's happening human. now, it'll happen when they're in their thirties. <laughs> That's my belief. They don't act up when they're 18, then they just they act up when they're in their 30s. Well, I'm about to act up in my 30s, apparently. Oh, dear. I didn't act up when I was young. I've always been a goody two-shoes, so we'll see what I do. Uh, you did 30s. something wrong. You didn't eat your broccoli or something. I like my broccoli. Okay, then you're definitely going to lose it in your 30s. <laughs> we'll you... see what happens. All right, you've been listening to this eternally long episode of the Go no, to Hell no, no. podcast. We already said that it was divided in half, so... Okay, you've been listening to the second part of the Go to Hell podcast, or the first part of the Go to Hell podcast. We thank you for listening to this episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe. That's the only way we can get more subscribers. We'll hey, hit us with a beer recommendation, too. And hit us with a beer recommendation. Please hit us with a beer recommendation. Or we haven't had any spirits yet, but if you want to hit us with a nice bottle of uh, whiskey or single malt, that's fine, too. One of these days we might drink a bottle of booze because we've gotten bored with the beer we have. And if you think all these questions are bullshit, then go to hell.